0: This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I'm thrilled to be talking to you about my favorite topic, the visual workplace, letting the workplace speak, work that makes sense. Thanks for tuning in. This is our premier show, my very first show on Voice America Radio, and I'd like to thank Voice America Business for inviting me and QMI Visualine Institute for being my sponsor. In this first show, I want to set up some basic concepts and definitions to get us on the same page about workplace visuality. That's another name for the visual workplace. In fact, as we move along together, I plan to alternate between shows that share visual workplace principles and practices and shows where I interview master practitioners, company leaders, change agents who are actually implementing and deploying the technologies of the visual workplace and as well as uh, subject matter experts, the, those people who really command knowledge and know-how over some aspects of the field. The kinds of things that uh, you can look forward to as we'll be doing shows on visual pull systems. And some of these words may be unknown to you, but, you know, it's part of my job to define them and make them sensible Hijunka, that's a high-speed scheduling system. pokeyoke Devices, that's mistake-proofing and visual controls. We'll talk a good deal about 5S and 6S, workplace organization, that indispensable first step, and how to go further and what to do if you get stalled or if you are stalled. We'll look at implementation issues and startup requirements, startup requirements for a successful visual conversion, one that sticks, one, one that's uh, sustainable. Um, Another topic will be cultural transformation and alignment, very, very important, and also how executives can use visual leadership to link policy, measures, and actions. And beginning today, we will talk about visuality and how it puts the power in people empowerment. There are really so many elements to a fully functioning visual workplace. We'll have a lot to talk about. Also, later today, we'll talk about visuality as a language, a language that every person in the organization learns to speak. And in other shows, we'll focus on supervisors and managers and how they can speak through production control boards and visual displays and how maintenance and operators can team up on visual machines if you're working in a factory. Administrative staff can create visual offices. Hospitals can become visual office, uh, visual uh, hospitals. And uh, pharmacies can become what we want them to be, which is error-free, where everyone, including patients and families, benefit. So we have a lot to cover in this wonderful field called visuality, and also the interface between visuality and the Shingo Prize. If you're familiar with the Shingo Prize, it's an international prize based in the United States for excellence in operations in everything from agencies to hospitals to factories, it's a wonderful, robust model. I also want to spend a show or two focused on how to train workplace visuality, how to do so effectively, because if you train it well, it'll trigger your training will trigger these high level visual solutions that are sustainable. All of that is ahead of us. And you know what else? I'm hoping that you will help to shape that discussion through your emails and your calls. You know what? I'm counting on it. This is a live show. It's call-in. And if you don't have the number, by the way, it's 866-472-5790. You can also email me at... Radio at visualworkplace.com, send me your questions, send me your tough challenges, the kinds of things that keep you up at night, but also your stories, your insights, and your visual solutions. I'd like to make this our show. And on this first show, I would like to set up some of the basics and also tell you a little something about myself and what gives me the right and the privilege to represent this powerful field of business transformation called the visual workplace. So, first, my credentials. I've been working in the field of workplace visuality since 1983, when I joined a then-fledgling company, some of you will know, Productivity, Inc., Though only a hope at the time, over the next 10 years, productivity became the premier resource for knowledge and know-how coming out of Japan. That was what we called then the so-called Japanese miracle. Under the leadership of the owner, Norman Bodeck, whom you may know as well, the great of the Japanese production systems became the brain trust of that period. Ryuji Fukuda, Shigeo Shingo, Nakajima, Hirano, Harada – Iwata, Yamada, Nakao, these were the great thinkers and practitioners who gave so much to our own understanding here in the West. I remember that time. They were very, very exciting times. And at that time, I was the head of training and consulting at Productivity, and I had a chance to travel everywhere. I toured a lot of companies. I assessed many of them in many many countries. And I also assessed their approach to improvement, even as I was learning, and I learned a lot. I should probably not confess this so early on in our relationship, but in my earlier life, very early on, I was a Latin teacher, about as far from um, manufacturing in the workplace that I could imagine. I had also been an actor in New York and in Europe, and somewhere along the way I was an executive director, for the Community Service Council, a citizen participation um, agency, uh, the arm, the research arm of the United Way. And yes, I also started a couple of hospices in different states, working with volunteers and with patients and with their families in a crucial period of life. But all of that was before 1983, before I had ever been in a factory in my life. And when I entered the first one, Honestly, the heavens opened. I was just blown away. And in a very real sense, I was home. I was so intoxicated by this idea that what I was seeing was thought manifest human thought. Thought, inspiration formed into thought, thought formed into a thing, a product, a service, thought formed into function. Here's another memory that sticks a 72-ton locomotive engine, early on, in the early 1980s, I was standing in the factory, it was finely machined, and it was overhead, being craned across the production floor in a company called Electromotive outside of Chicago. And I was dumbstruck, once again, by this idea, the power of human thought, our, our power, our power to put thought into form. Things also got triggered on my first study mission in Japan, and these are still playing themselves out in my life and my work. Things associated with the visual workplace, which at the time had no name, it had no methodology, it had no logic, it didn't exist as a field, it didn't exist as an improvement methodology. And honestly, to tell you the truth, it is still struggling to be seen as a discrete improvement methodology, Most people kind of see it as an add-on, but we'll talk more about that later. Anyway, so we were touring. I was with this study mission, and we were touring a final assembly plant in the Toyota group, and I saw this strange, this unexplainable thing happen. So let me describe what happened. I was watching a Toyota operator put on the tires. It was in final assembly on his side of the vehicle. A second operator was working the other side putting on tires. At this assembly station's, Station. The tire was bolted on, and the line was indexed to the torquing of the bolts. That means that when the four bolts on each tire were tightened correctly, the line would move, taking the completed vehicle further down the line and bringing the next one forward. If the line did not index, did not move forward, it meant that one of the operators, one of the two operators or both, had missed a bolt or two. So I'm standing there watching the operator put all four bolts on each of his two tires and tighten the bolts. And apparently so did his counterpart on the other side of the car because the line moved forward. But then he does something really weird. He puts his wrench into a bucket of pink powder, bright pink powder. How strange is that? I thought, why would he do that? Powder would get over everything. So I stayed and I watched. (laughs) And then the next car came along and he put the tires on and torqued each bolt. The line indexed and the car moved on and he put the wrench back into the pink powder. What's going on? I just couldn't figure it out. And then it hit me. Maybe it's already hit you. That pink powder was a visual device. That pink powder was his insurance that if the line didn't index forward, didn't move, he would be able to spot the bolt he missed because it would be the one without the pink powder. Wow, I mean, this hit me like a ton of bricks. The bolts, (laughs) this is the way I say it, the bolts were talking to him. The pink powder was a visual device, a thing, an apparatus, a mechanism that allowed the bolts to share information, to communicate vital information back to the operator. As sure as if each bolt were his supervisor, giving him feedback on his performance, do you see? Alerting him to quality issues issues, and helping him do the very thing he wanted to do, which is the right thing. I was just stupefied. The implications were enormous. In fact, the implications were so big, I couldn't wrap my mind around them. (laughs) I just knew that something huge had just happened in front of my eyes, and I wanted to know more. And I've spent the last 28 years, a little bit more, getting to find out what that more is, and watching and thinking and expressing and defining and articulating and on and on and on, codifying the field is the way I put it. I started putting it into form, this thing called the visual workplace, work that makes sense. So I hope this is kind of an illustration of, kind of my background. I've been involved in this field for so long. And you know what I think what we'll do right now, I think, maybe we will go for a ride. <laughs> Why not in a Ferrari? So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to share with you my take on workplace visuality and how it works and why I consider it indispensable in every workplace and on the journey to excellence because I say that the visual workplace is really not about point solutions. We'll get to the ride in a moment. I'm kind of leading up to it. It's not about buckets and brooms or posters and signs. The visual workplace is a compelling operational imperative. I know that's a mouthful, but hear me out. It is crucial to meeting your daily production goals, your performance goals, central to your war on waste, vastly reduced lead times, and an accelerated flow that you control at will getting things of your day done safer, more efficiently, more effectively, with improved quality, and with no sacrifice to the speed. Now, this is only the barest beginning of defining the power of visuality. And I also want to emphasize that what I'm describing, the visual workplace, applies to any venue, any setting, any place where work happens. A bank, an assembly plant, utilities, open pit mine, dry cleaners, military depot, doctor's office, hospital engineering office, wherever work happens, and in nursing homes and in your home, especially if you have a lot of kids, and especially if any of them has special needs. Visuality makes, well, I think we're going to move into a a break in just a second, and I'll save this for when we come back. But while we're waiting, here's the big thought. Visuality is a language, and we humans already speak it. We are already visual beings. Therefore, we live in a visual world, and it's not the other way around. The world around us does not contain visual devices and visual systems from which we learn to be visual. Instead, we already understand and speak this language, this visual language. And as a result, our world reflects that language. And so I have to ask, why doesn't every workplace also contain that language since humans are working there? Hmm? That's my question. Visuality is made for making complex human interactions and human-machine interactions coherent and safe. It optimizes those interactions, allowing them to function, and I would say optimally. And then on that baseline to further improve. So that's the big picture on visuality. I hope you are beginning to see that it's more than just a set of point solutions, more than this device or that device. And the implications for the business, both for the bottom line and the culture, are enormous and are very, very accessible once you get the paradigm in place, the principles and the practices, you create this wonderful workplace that makes sense and that speaks. And that's what I, I want to kind of draw that picture for you during this first uh, this, this first session together. And then when we come back, I think there's a break coming up. I keep getting a little sign. When we come back, we're going to go for a ride, and we are we are going to take a Ferrari. Thanks. See you in a minute.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website, again, is visualworkplace.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: Thanks for coming back. And, you know, uh, I wanted to invite you to go for a ride with me now. I'm going to kind of set this thing up to uh, illustrate for you that you already know. As I was saying before the break, you already know what visuality is, but you may not have noticed it because it's so much a part of your life. And as you get to know that better and better, then you'll make the transfer to your workplace. You'll at least begin to see what's missing. So let's go for a ride. We're going to take a ride to your friend's grandmother's house, grandma's house. Grandma has her big 90th birthday blowout next Saturday, and she told her grandson, your friend, that she wants you to be there. She'll pay for everything. It's party time, and you know what you're going to do? You're going to fly in on Saturday, bright and early. a state that you've never visited before, you're going to pick up a rented car, you're going to get to Grandma's by by noon, promptly, because Grandma's old-fashioned and she doesn't like it when her guests are late, not one little bit. And when your friend emailed you, he also included a strange request that you're going to say okay to. He said, we want you to get to the party on time and safely but we don't want you to ask anyone for directions. And also you can't get a GPS for the car. <laughs> so it was a bizarre request, but still it's going to be a great party. And since grandma's paying for it and you decided you decided you wanted to go, you're going to play by her rules. And you're also going to rent a Ferrari. She said you could have any car and you've picked out a Ferrari. It's deep green and it has a Bose sound system Thanks, Grandma. So the question is, how are you going to get to Grandma's house on time and in one piece without asking any questions, without speaking a word? Well, as you guessed, visuality comes to the rescue. Visual information sharing will help you all along the way. Visual devices and systems of devices that are in the roads themselves. Yes, that's right. The road to grandma's house is embedded with visual information sharing that will actually take you there. What do I mean? Well, you tell me. What mechanism or things are already in or near the road that will help you get the answers you need to get to grandma's house without, without speaking a word? Precise answers and exactly when and as you need them. I know you can name them. What visual devices do you see right now? Go ahead, you start. That's right. First of all, there's a road map. It's two-dimensional. It's just a little two-dimensional visual device, but it's chock full of information. You open, you unfold the map which you got at the car counter and you find your way on paper from where you are now at the airport to where you need to go, grandma's. The map gives you the overall framework, the orientation, the alignment. And next, what do you look for? Yes, you look for the signs on the side of the road, more visual devices. This one names north, that one names south, highway names, city names. With your map as a guide, you make your way. And roadsides help you along your way. And just as it is in your state, in your home state, borders in the road keep you in your lane, Dotted lines tell you when to pass, dotted lines, the the absence of dotted lines, the solid lines tell you when it's illegal to pass, and you go chugging along, and you're cruising at top speed, listening to your sound system, Steely Dan, if I had my choice, that's one of my favorites, and you move along, and you're moving closer and closer, and you even notice speaking of visual devices, that your entire dashboard is flooded with information that's vital to your task. Mm, The speedometer, the fuel gauge, the lights. Vital information is everywhere and it's available to you. You have still plenty of time. You turn off at the right exit. You slow down for traffic light, another visual device. And you're beginning to get the hang of the whole thing. It's going to be thanks to these devices that you get to grandma's on time and safely and have a great time. So now you're turning on to secondary roads that will take you through town. And we have a problem. And soon you will too. You forget to slow down. Even though the visual indicators on the side of the road have continued to announce a required Change in speed from 55 to 30, from 30 to 15, you don't see it. You are going to get a ticket, probably, but worse than that, you fail to notice the road sign that says children playing. It's crayon yellow with large black letters, by the way, the most visible color combination, The U.S. government has already done this research for us. In a field of color, the human eye sees yellow first. So there's that big yellow sign that says children playing, but you don't see it. Your behavior doesn't change as a result. Because you haven't received the information, your behavior doesn't change. You don't slow down. And we have to do something quick. There are children playing. So what to do? Well, luckily... The Town Fathers have had a lot of experience with people like you. They learned a long time ago that people don't see road signs. Even though everybody wants to do the right thing, people forget. They forget that they forgot. They don't see, even though they're looking right at the darn thing. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. So how did the Town Fathers... Prepare for you. Happy unconscious driver (laughs) like you and me sometimes. Sometimes it's that way. We have to be ready. What steps did they already put into place to make sure you did slow down? Here's the question. How did they translate the very exact information of 15 miles per per hour into an exact behavior? How did they get you to obey? How are they going to get you to do it? Hmm? Are you following me? Yep. They put speed bumps in place, speed bumps. And even though you may not notice, the first speed bump, they usually come in pairs, at least they do here in Oregon. When you get airborne you're suddenly going to realize there's a second one coming up and I'm going to slow down. And you know what this is? This is a perfect example of what we mean by translating information into exact behavior through visual devices. This is one of the large principles or concepts of workplace visuality. And we see it in our roadways. We see it in our community places. We see it in some of the really great hospitals. How do you get humans while they're busy doing something else, to obey rules, standards that are vital to their well-being and yours, how do you translate information and make it powerful so that the behavior changes? And on the um, on the sh- announcement of the show, there's a, a link over to the right for this episode that when you get by a, com- a computer, you can uh, link to that will show you a kind of uh, Slate that will show you three ways, the kind of progression of how we used to translate information through meetings and through memos and through questions and through more meetings and OJT and supervision and micro-supervision that would uh, help people do the right thing. But when you enter into a visual workplace... The visual workplace is populated by, not by hundreds, but by thousands of visual devices holding these tidbits of information, these um, elements, the this vocabulary that is your operational system embedded into the landscape of work. And those devices help you do the right thing, sometimes very powerfully, like a speed bump. Okay, translating vital information into exact behavior—that's what this is about, and we're going to expand on that principle a little bit more. But I, but that is one of the central paradigms of visuality. So you know, this first show is about my setting up the paradigm for us to think about, so that you know, and I've said it—I've said it a couple of times already. The visual workplace is not about those point solutions, individual, maybe you know the word andon, a flashing light, or a kanban, or lines and labels. It's not about that. It's about creating a network, or if you will, weaving in the language of your operations. I like to think of it as your operational intelligence is captured in those devices and embedded and you can see the implications are huge, both for our roads and highways, but also for the workplace. It recasts the role of supervisors and managers from being these kind of watchdogs to being freed up for something greater. And in fact, uh, one of our shows is going to be on supervisors and managers, how they can become leaders of improvement. Thanks to workplace visuality, because when the information in the workplace is embedded, managers and supervisors are freed up, not freed up to be fired, but freed up to add value in a way that perhaps hadn't been described to them before, isn't in their current job description. It's one of the wonderful progressions on this journey that we began in the 1980s. 1980s and for some companies in the 1970s, of being able to reframe the entire world of work. I think it's very exciting. It's one of the uh, kind of dynamics or elements that have has kept me going <laughs> about the visual workplace and really respecting what a powerful paradigm it is, a powerful dynamic. So, I hope you think about these things and I want to encourage you to call in with your questions, and I do want to (laughs) tell you that um, these are the big ideas of visuality, and I think that we have to really name that horizon first. We have to frame out the concept so that we can populate it appropriately with the functions and the mechanisms that will help us, but never lose sight of that horizon. This is where the cultural transformation comes in. This is how people can align and how they can also participate in the corporate intent. I think it's very exciting. After the break, we're going to talk about the uh, pre-visual workplace a little bit and kind of subtract some of this functionality and perhaps um, ring some bells about... What it's like and why. So I'll see you in a little bit. Thanks.
1: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll free, 1-866-472-5790 or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program.
0: Hi again. So let's pick up up where we kind of left off before the break. Yeah, I'm a little bit nervous. This is my first show, and, well, you know, I might as well tell you what you already know. (laughs) So we'll pick up where we left off just before the break. About the translation of vital information into exact behavior. And again, you can refer to it when you get to your computer. There's a nice link and you'll see this all kind of mapped out. But I want to talk you through this three-part progression so that you kind of get what that graphic means. It's called an infographic. In a visual workplace, we translate vital information into visual devices. I've said that a number of times. And those devices ensure that our behavior is exact, is safe, is timely, is correct. What we're doing is embedding the intelligence that is our operational system into the physical landscape of work, into the production area or if it's an office or a hospital, into where we perform, where we deliver. We embed that information in the form of visual devices into what I like to call the field of value, the value field, where work happens. It's just a term of art. But that's not what happens in a non-visual workplace. In the pre-visual workplace, managers have the job of attempting to translate information into human and machine behaviors through other means. In a nutshell, that is the job of management, to translate information, to make sure that information results in a ready-to-ship product or a delivered service. In a a pre-visual workplace, this is accomplished through supervision, micro-supervision, on-the-job training, classroom training, personal write-ups. You did this wrong. You did it wrong again. You did it wrong again. And in most companies... The transfer of information happens in meetings, a lot of meetings, and sometimes online, and then more meetings, and endless, endless questions, if you could only find someone to answer those questions. Even then, there's a lot of of information that remains missing or hard to get to or unreliable or not up to date, and it seems impossible to catch up. Many companies have glommed onto LCD monitors as a solution, and even though these LCDs, these big monitors, these big displays help, they can't carry the load. They're only one aspect. Maybe they're 0.5% of the solution, even in a well-functioning company. And the one complaint, the one deficiency that nearly every company that I've spoken to has at the top or very near the top of their list of problems, is communication. I think one of the problems with communication is that we don't really understand what it means, or the quote that I like is, the greatest problem in communication is the illusion that it has occurred. (laughs) That's a good one, too. What happens when information is not available, when the communication doesn't happen and you need it? What happens when you have come to understand, despite your fervent hopes and efforts, to the contrary, that most of the information that is shared is unreliable, incomplete, late, or just plain wrong? What happens? What happens to you? What happens to us on the inside? This is a very important cultural component. What happens on the inside, let alone on our outside? What happens to a workforce? that is faced with that kind of outcome as the rule, not the exception. What happens is people get angry and combative, or they go in the opposite direction. They go numb or, and become indifferent. They, they disassociate. They disassociate, which is the opposite of engage. Information is power, many of us who are listening today learned that in the 1960s i think you remember that decade very well if you want an empowered and aligned workforce you must share you must share information and you must share it reliably and repeatedly and that is one of the primary purposes of the visual workplace i like to put it this way to liberate information and in the process of doing so to liberate the human will only a liberated will can align with a corporate intent let me say that again only when the human will is liberated can it desi- can it decide can it decide to align with the company's intent or decide not to this is what freedom means in a work setting will you give your will over to the business or will you keep it to yourself and for yourself, and let it serve only your own personal interests. It's your choice. And what organization does not want every employee to enroll in the corporate intent, in the corporate vision, mission, purpose, measures, all this that will help the organization get better? But the thing is that enrollment is a personal choice, and in my experience, that cannot happen in an information-scarce or an information-starved work environment. Enrollment is always a choice, and you know what? It can't happen by mandate. Our will is not for hire, however much we are paid and however much we may want to. Let somebody buy our will. It still doesn't happen that way. That's not the dynamic. That isn't the way we're built as humans. We give it freely or not at all. And we will not enroll. We can't make these kind of life-supporting, company-supporting decisions if we are afraid. And we are afraid when we don't have the information we need in order to move freely within ourselves and outside of ourselves. It's such an interesting dynamic, and as I've worked with companies over these last almost 30 years, this is something that I discovered that was not at all the most of the kind of platitudes that I've read about culture don't resolve this issue of the human will because because we're these alive, dynamic mechanisms, these bodies, these minds. We know when we're at risk when the information is not available when and as we need it. We're not even mentioning the sense of disempowerment or victimhood that also gets anchored to that kind of uh, distorted state or unfortunate state. Short of physical risk or gunfire over my head, there are few threats as negatively potent to the human psyche as as the absence of information or the presence of information that is, has proven to be unreliable and complete and consistent, untimely, irrelevant and precise, or simply, God help us, wrong. So, you know, the thing about visuality is that it produces remarkable bottom line benefits. We see it again and again. Adding machine perfect 15 to 30% increase in throughput, productivity gains you can take to the bank, not just more money, but more profit margin, more disposable income for investments or for improvement. I'm not selling you snake oil. I'm just being emphatic because far too many companies and too many change agents and lean leaders and executives. Harbor this mistaken notion that visuality is a set of point solutions. They're miss- point solutions. They're missing the point. Hmm? Yes, visual devices can be used to anchor lean and other improvement gains. We're going to be talking about that in our next show when Stuart Bellamy from Brandt Engineered Products in Canada talks to us about his kind of visual lean experience. It's good to have visual devices, but the capability, the potential of visuality is so much greater. And to embrace that, or to I should say to miss embracing that, is to miss entirely the life-giving dynamics of a workplace that speaks. The Shingle Prize says it really well. I love this. It's in their criteria. I really respect that group, and we hope to interview uh, Bob Miller soon. He can speak to this issue very well. And it says, visuality doesn't just drive a lean work culture, it creates it. That's the end of the quote. And I'm going to go on to say, visuality puts feet and hands and teeth on the definition that we love. (laughs) We love this idea of customer-driven cultural alignment. I hold to that. How are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? Lean is not equipped to take you there. In this country, we have gone further than lean than anybody ever imagined back in 1982, 83. We've really made it an art form and a science. And yet I know so many companies. One just called yesterday and said, we've been doing lean for 10 years. But my people want to get more involved. I don't know how to do it. I can't seem to do it through the Kaizen Blitz. That's a kind of um, uh, two to three hour or two to three day event where people go into an improvement mode and they do really brilliant change. We are complex beings. We have needs in our lives, in our work, in our homes that are much more than some of us know about. We have these dimensions of our being that need to be responded to, and work should not be a place that we cannot bring our whole self to. There's a wonderful poet named David White, and I had the pleasure of walking around the hills in uh, England with him for several summers. And he used to say, you know, people come to work and they leave the better part of themselves in the car with the window with the window cracked so that there's something so it stays alive until they get done with work at the end of the day and then they you know reacquire that part of them but what would it be like if we bring our whole selves to work and i want to put it to you that visuality through this act of embedding information and making us both independent and interdependent we become self leaders that this is the way it happens I happen to call it I-Driven, and we'll be talking about that. That's going to be an ongoing theme as we um, carry on our discussion in other shows. But right now, I want to kind of build a case for you. And I know these are claims, but some of you out there know they're true because you've experienced this. And all I want to do is encourage you to take it further, much further, a fully functioning visual workplace liberates information on all levels of the enterprise including for the ceo poor guy you know he's there nobody's thinking about him everybody improves except me but it's also there for him it liberates the or her the human will and one of the major byproducts of that liberation you know what it is it's joy it's joy people come to work and enjoy themselves they feel this pure joy of their own expression, their contribution to the corporate good. Am I dreaming? No, I've seen this. I've seen this. And if you want to have a shock, here's the test. Imagine you're the road to grandma's house and remove all those visual devices that were there helping you. You know what you would do if there were no visual devices? On our roads and highways, you'd pull over, take your foot off the pedal, get out of the car, and walk away. (laughs) It's too dangerous. That's a personal impact. How about for the economy? Please think about bringing that powerful functionality into the workplace. Hmm? That's what we're discussing here high and complex human and machine interfaces, lots of performance outcomes on lots of levels, and lots and lots of embedded visual systems invented by the people who need them. This isn't cookie-cutter visuality. We don't just import them. We invent them. They become ours, and we leave them as a legacy when we move on. And there's this shift that happens In the, uh, this is a a phrase that I love that you're going to uh, throw something at me for using, but in the morphogenic field of the plant. And we're going to talk about that. If I get really lucky, I'll be able to get um, Sheldrake, damn, Rupert, Rupert Sheldrake, pardon me, pardon my French, (laughs) Rupert Sheldrake to come and talk to us about morphogenic fields and some of the experiments that he's doing proving them they're no longer we'll talk about the hundredth monkey and that whole amazing dimension of learning that happens simply because we're connected exciting stuff again what i love about visuality it seems to hold everything i'm interested in it just kind of takes me along by the nose i hope to get you excited about it as well at the very least Take a window seat next time you fly. Make sure you're not over the wing and see visuality in action that's keeping you safe and all 230 other people in your plane safe as you take off and land and gives the pilot a chance to do a good job and, you know, keep us flying. (laughs) All of that is there. We can learn a lot from our communities a lot from what already exists, but we need to understand that this is the environment that we're used to. We're used to this highly informative environment, and we go to the workplace and we're at a loss. We glom on to the nearest human being. Hopefully, they will be able to get us through until we kind of solve the mystery of, where am I and what am I supposed to do? God bless our manufacturing and God bless our hospitals and banks and offices, We've done a great job without visuality. Imagine the heights to which we will soar when visuality is in place. Visual devices, visual systems. So I will uh, have a few more things to say when you come back. Should be interesting.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Business Community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program.
0: Hi, it's Gwendolyn, and I understand we have a caller, and I would love to hear from him. So, uh, may we have that call, please, Matt? Thank you. Hi.
2: Hi, Gwen. It's uh, Cliff Dahl.
0: Hi, Cliff. How are you?
2: Hi, good. I just. Uh Wanted to be uh, first person to congratulate you on your show, and I think that uh, a lot of good's going to come out of it. I'm, I'm happy that you're doing this.
0: Well, oh, thanks for your call, Cliff. Why don't you tell us where you're from?
2: Uh, I'm from North Dakota. Uh, work in Wapakoneta, North Dakota. I work for uh, Bobcat Company. It's a mm-hmm. compact construction equipment company, and uh, I'm a Lean Promotions agent. There and at uh, one of the factories, and uh, I heard about you. I actually, heard you, gosh, must be four or five years ago, and uh, and have just uh, enjoyed learning uh, from your material and and uh, from from uh, you personally. Uh, it's been it's been a lot of it's been great.
0: Yeah, We've had some good conversations. Well, I appreciate your calling, and thank you for your good wishes. This is uh, really um, a kind of red-letter day for me, too. Uh, It's so exciting to be able to reach a a wider audience. But why don't we just kind of share with uh, people, why don't you tell them about what you're doing uh, currently and and why you decided to bring Visual in? Because I know you were doing a lot of great work in Lean. Uh, You've been at that plant for quite a long time, and then you took this on. Can you just... uh, Give us an, uh, share with people why you d- decided to go in that direction, to add visual to your toolkit.
2: Uh, the uh, the key for me, the selling point, or the thing that perked my ears up to, it, was the uh, the eye driven approach. Um, I'm sure a lot of people that have uh, worked uh, implementing Lean have seen some of the things that I have where. Um, You go into an area, into a cell, and and everybody's excited about the improvements, except the people that work in the cell. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I'm sorry. So, so you see, um, you know, it's tough to uh, to make anything, any type of lasting improvements if the Mm -hmm. people that have to work. With the results, work with what you think are improvements. Mm-hmm. Um, if, they, if they don't buy into it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so uh, so your approach, the eye-driven approach for uh, for especially with the the, uh, the operator-led eye-driven approach, um, I think fills in that huge gap that you know maybe it wasn't isn't meant to be there by, uh, by the, the people that have developed uh, lean methodologies over the years. I'm sure that's, that's mm-hmm. just something that, that gets lost along the way.
0: Yeah, it's such an interesting point, and, of course, one that I hold to uh, very deeply. Uh, the thing about lean is that it is this very powerful predetermined business benefit that you put into place. For those of you who are familiar, you put your standard work into place. You work on your pull. You work you work on your flow. You put your standard work. You you work on your pull. Then you move into tack time, one piece flow, if you can, or something that approximates that in your industry. And it is powerful changes and wonderful business benefit. But there's a whole another uh, layer of benefit that can be overlooked, overshadowed by. The dazzling results that lean creates and I driven just uh, to kind of clarify that And we'll be spending quite a few shows on nesting that concept and applying it to operators, but also to supervisors. How do you get the voice of the eye, the individual into this event that we call visuality, which is a language. And it is a language that is supposed to help me, whoever the me is, do my work safer, better, higher quality, smoother, less struggle. How do we get that I? We have to get the voice of the I in. And honestly, I didn't concoct this. I just watched how visual devices were created over the years, and I realized that that eye was the powerful component to make these local, peculiar devices that really worked in my setting. And uh, right now uh, actually i was you don 't know this uh, cliff, but I was going to invite you to interview in about maybe two or three months after you get a little bit of wind under your sails and talk about your experience in training this in how you get people how you ignite people, and how you get the eye to come alive because that eye has really been in many many companies crushed by the uh, by the business itself it doesn't have room to breathe so there's a great deal here that is uh, life-giving and life-supporting that um the liberation when as soon as we get some information in place we are freed up to um be able to do other things with who we are thanks a lot cliff i'm really glad you you uh you called in that was very kind of you and um i only have about another minute left so i if i may take a, a A moment from you and just want to say uh, thank you to everyone. I want to to say that the purpose of today has been to set the stage, to map out this context that is large enough to hold our future discussions, this paradigm horizon. I hope that I've succeeded to some extent and I hope that our discussion continues. You know, when I, I contemplate the past 28 plus years, visuality has been a gift that I've been given, and now I am thrilled to now give it to you and to see what happens next. I want to say thank you to each of you for listening. Thank you to our caller, Cliff Dahl from Bobcat. Thank you to my sponsor, QMI Visualine Institute, and thank you to all of you who are on the journey to continuous improvement with visuality, without visuality, but you're focusing on improving your business processes, and we improve ourselves in the process of that. This is so exciting, this beautiful event that we've been in. Thank you for listening. and. I look forward to the next time, and you bet I do. Please keep tuned into our show. We'll be doing something interesting, I think, every week. And please let me know what you want to talk about and what you want to focus on. We'll have some straight call-in shows where you simply call in with your implementation questions. Um, I have to say that I love implementation. I'm pretty darn good at it. And we probably can help you with some of our um, ideas and our experiences. We
1: appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galesworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.